What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. In the midst of the World Series, who's in this best spot to win it all between Texas and Arizona? Plus, which teams need to buy or sell at the NFL trade deadline? And, the headlines from the first few weeks of the NBA and NHL regular season. You're listening to episode 92 of Let Me Speak. Time to get things started. Intro, please. Let Me Speak. Happy Halloween, everybody. We're coming at you on Tuesday, October 31st, 2023 for episode number 92 of Let Me Speak. That means after today, there's only about seven or eight more episodes till we hit number 100. I am so excited. I I say it every week that I'm very much looking forward to this 100th episode celebration. And for those of you that are watching on YouTube right now, I mentioned off the top, it's Halloween when we're recording. I did not dress the part. I did not come in a costume, uh, mainly because I'm not. Let's. I'll just put my cards out on the table, just right here, right now. I'm not the biggest Halloween fan. Not really. I I don't really like dressing up that much, putting on any kind of costumes, and I'm not really that creative. Come to think of it, I don't really have like a, a smart idea for a costume, or I don't have anyone that I could play the part of a, a second person in a, in a pairing uh, sort of idea. So that. Just nothing just comes off the top. So I for those of you watching on YouTube who are looking for uh, a costume for this Halloween episode, you're not going to get it. I can I can tell you that I, I came dressed as myself. Basically, I came as as Joe Braverman doing a podcast. That's that's the costume that I uh, provided for you on uh, this Halloween. But I've seen a lot of great uh, photos and videos out there uh, about everyone celebrating uh, some very interesting uh, ideas for for dressing up uh so i'm glad that everyone is enjoying that holiday and i hope that they are being very safe and especially for those uh with with young ones who are going out trick-or-treating hope you guys uh are being safe out there when you go and get all that candy and then when you down all of that candy um but it's a very spooky season it's it's been spooky all throughout the air throughout this month of october and i think what's maybe the spookiest what I've seen um, had to have been who's in the World Series right now. I mean, I would call it maybe the unlikeliest matchup uh, that was predicted when the playoffs began. The fact that the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks are in the World Series. I mean, Arizona won like 84 games in the season. And when you look at all of their stats, they're literally in mid pack or like in the back half of uh, that mid pack, you know, in in a 30 team league, they're about like 16, 17, 18. They don't have, they didn't have anything that made anyone jump out and say, that's a team that can go to the world series without a doubt. I mean, they were the, what the second to last uh, wild card spot in, uh, in the national league. So to, to see them, go all the way to the world series with the kind of roster that they have. I mean, it, it's a, 
I give credit to that clubhouse and uh, the mood in that locker room. Cause I know for a fact that almost everyone would have predicted Philly to, to win that NLCS and for them to get back to the world series. Cause I mean, you look at the names on each side, when you have a Bryce Harper and a Trey Turner and a Kyle Schwarber put on the other side with a rookie Corbin Carroll, uh, a veteran who's basically flown under the radar, Evan Longoria, you know, just, just to name a few guys, they don't have any names that pop out at you. So it's a testament to what goes on behind the scenes with uh, Mike Hayes and the GM, with Tori Lovello, the manager, and everyone uh, throughout that roster. It, it's a testament to what Arizona has built and what they've been building uh, for quite a bit of time because they've basically been at the cellar uh, of the MLB standings for, for long. And the same thing for Texas, too. I mentioned it uh, last week when they clinched their spot in the World Series over the Astros. Um, the fact that they were, you know, two years ago, a 100-game loser, and then they make all these moves on this rebuild, and now here they are uh, in the World Series. So it, it's kind of that feel-good, you know, once you get it out of the way. But once you get into games one, two, and three, that's all kind of out the window. Now we have to get to the actual matchup between the two. And as I've said pretty much for all series, pitching is the biggest key. And it's always going to be the biggest key, no matter how far along this baseball, you know, is going to run. Um, it's always going to come down to pitching more so uh in this this World Series, I think starting pitching has to be I would give the edge to Texas, but it's going to be absolutely crucial. I mean, you saw in uh, game one, the fact that it took all the way to the 11th till uh, Odolis Garcia hit that walk off. Game two was domination by the D-backs. And then last night, they got uh, Texas got some really good bullpen work uh, from guys who were basically starters uh, in Scherzer and then in John Gray to uh, come up with that game three victory. Um, in starting pitching-wise, I would give the edge uh, to Texas and more so in the trust factor, I would say, because Bruce Bochy, um, he, he's been here before. Obviously, I, I listed his credentials uh, la last week, you know, three World Series with the Giants. Um, but it seems like he has a longer leash with the starters that he got. I mentioned Scherzer's probably the only guy uh, that Bochy would be short with, but that's coming off an injury as well. For the other guys, you got Montgomery, Evaldi. John Gray, as I mentioned, coming out of the bullpen, he let him go for a good uh, three innings. And it turned out to be uh, very important because as Scherzer was winding down, uh, keeping that shutout going, you get a fresh John Gray, uh, who's basically, I don't know if I'd say I'd put him in like a sort of a starter role. He's kind of like in a bulk kind of thing. If I had to guess, he might be like a game seven starter uh, if it ever got to that point. But the fact that Bochi is comfortable with letting his guys go. I mean, Tori Lovello can't do the same thing uh, for Arizona. I mean, we've seen that Zach Gallen is the ace of the team, but in the postseason, he's only got a 5-2-7 uh, ERA. So, I mean, when you compare it to him and Merrill Kelly and Brandon Fatt, uh, they usually don't go more than five innings. So, um Lavello can sort of rely on that bullpen, which I will say the starting edge goes to Texas, but the bullpen edge uh, goes to the D backs because Arizona has three 
lockdown guys so far in this postseason. You got Ryan Thompson and Kevin Ginkle to set it up. The big thing, though, for Arizona is they got to get a lead and they got to get it into the ninth. Because honestly, for me, I don't think anyone can touch uh, Paul Seawold right now, who is their closer they acquired from Seattle at the deadline. I mean, so far in this postseason, he's got six saves in nine get uh, nine appearances, and his ERA is an even two. So I would say right now, maybe the best bullpen arm throughout this postseason has been Paul Seawold. And if Texas goes into any kind of matchup where Seawold's the pitcher and they're trailing, I find it very hard to think that Texas can get some runs off of him and try and get back into this game. So I think Arizona relies on their bullpen a little bit more than Texas does. I mean, Texas is kind of so-so. Um, they've got LeClerc as their uh, closer, but it's those those middle innings that I has me a little bit concerned, um, which is where Arizona will do most of their damage. And, and really, Arizona has to do uh, in the middle or the beginning. They have to get out to a lead uh, early on. And that goes for Texas as well. The fact that they can play ahead kind of gives them that flexibility uh, with their starters if they want to let them go longer, if they want to go to their bullpen right away. Because with uh, Bochi and the Rangers, they're going to ride their starters as long as they can. With the Velo and the D-backs, they want to go to the bullpen. So the first whiff of trouble that any starter gets in, whether that be Fat, Kelly, Gallon, whoever I mentioned, the minute they get into trouble, boom, they're going right to the bullpen. Um, in terms of the offense and the lineup between the two, Let's face it, the D-backs don't have any power threat uh, that Texas has. The way they get their runs is just good base hits, good fundamentals, um, and they just keep the line moving. They make it a very long inning. You know, there's no power threat like an Adolis Garcia, like a Marcus Simeon, like a Corey Seager, uh, just to name a few guys. Um, they've got great hitters, obviously. They have probably the NL Rookie of the Year, Corbin Carroll, uh, they've got Gabby Montero, Longoria, the veteran. I just mentioned Tommy Pham, uh, who they picked up, uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. You know, they have some guys, but they're not one of those power hitters that we've seen uh, in most postseason teams. When you look at, you know, postseason teams uh, in the past, you think of with the Sox, they always had a David Ortiz. With the Astros, they always had a Jordan Alvarez, um, j just to name uh, a few guys. So, Arizona doesn't have that. Texas does. They have a guy in Adolis Garcia who can literally crush the ball whenever he wants. And as I said last week, this guy is going to turn into a superstar if he's not already. Um, I think he he cemented it in the LCS, but then he just put the exclamation point on it when he got that walk-off win in game one. Um, Arizona doesn't have anyone like that where they can turn to to get one big hit. Because yes, I'm someone who likes sort of the old school getting their runs with singles, doubles, uh, in, in short ways like that. But there are times you need power. You need home run hitters. And honestly, there's not one person I can say with Texas or uh, with Arizona, excuse me, that if I need a home run, I'm going to go to this guy. You can't really rely on that because there's no one. There really isn't anyone. Texas, they have a multitude of those, which is why – I would sort of give the edge uh, to Texas, uh, not just because they have the 2-1 series lead, but I thought going into that first game on Friday, I definitely thought that Texas would have had the edge, but it's been so unpredictable that, yes, you can make these predictions, but how many of them are actually going to become true? I mean, let's go back to my conversation with uh, Cooper Leonard, 
a few weeks ago. I don't think we got any of our predictions right. I don't think we got any of them right. So I'm not going to be 100% certain that, yes, Texas will win the World Series. But if you ask me today if I had to make a prediction uh, and before the series, you told me which way were you leaning, I would lean towards the Rangers uh, to win the World Series. That's just that's how I say. But would I be upset if that prediction was wrong? No, because it's been so chaotic for this MLB postseason. You cannot be sure of whatever it is you're predicting. But hey, we got we still got game four, hopefully a game five. We got at least two games. So regardless, I think it's going to be uh, a fun World Series to to keep track of. I don't know if it's going to get the same amount of viewers because, yes, these are mid-market teams. They're not a New York, a Philly, a Boston, and L.A. But, hey, good baseball is good baseball, and I am here for it. So from a postseason to a regular season, coming up as we usually do in segment number two, we got to adjust our power rankings in the NFL after week eight. And we also take a look at which teams in those rankings should do some buying and do some selling at the trade deadline. All right, up next, we are moving to the NFL. And as usual, it's time to do our top and bottom 10 power rankings. And this one, I'm going to put a little bit of a caveat in it. Obviously, the trade deadline will be at 4 p.m. So by the time that this episode is released, the deadline will have passed. But we are recording at about quarter of three. So there's about an hour or so left in the trade deadline. And basically, with all these teams, I'm going to tell you, what do you got to trade? What do you need? And will any trades be made? or any trades to be expected at this time. So let's get into it. Number 10, as usual, is another new team. And this past Sunday, just put it uh, in the books for me. And that is the Bengals. The Bengals are back to where we thought they were. That early season struggle is now so long ago. Joe Burrow was so hindered by uh, that calf injury. He looked like basically a shell of himself. And now it looks like he's back to his 100%. You got to keep in mind against... Maybe one of the better teams and maybe the best team in the past 12 months, the San Francisco 49ers, he only had four incompletions. It was a near-perfect passer rating, 28 of 32. Not to keep in mind, he also threw three touchdowns and 283 yards. He's got his connection with Jamar Chase back. He's It's basically he is back. He is back to where he was. And as I uh, have said for multiple years now, it's one of the more underrated defenses out there in the league. I think they'll I think for me, for me to officially put the stamp and say that they're going to be back to the Super Bowl contenders that they once were, I think they got to win against the Bills. I think if they can do that, if they can win that, then I will move them even higher and I'd put them even in the top 3 among AFC teams. Um but in terms of the trade deadline, I honestly think they're perfectly fine. I don't think there's any, I mean, yes, there's obviously concerns, but I don't think there's any immediate threat for them to have to make a drastic move uh, so very quickly. So I like the Bengals sitting where they are at number 10. They've been flying under the radar, but now that they've got these big wins, um, they knock off the 49ers in a big way. I think uh, the Bengals are in a great spot considering uh, where they started the season, the fact that they came back just like that. 
Uh, number nine, I uh, aforementioned the Bills, who the Bengals will be playing on. I'm keeping the Bills at number nine because, yes, they won against Tampa on Thursday Night Football, but they still have their issues, and I still don't like Josh Allen having to do so much. I mean, th- this is the stat line that he put up. He threw 40 times, completed 31 of them, 324 yards, two touchdowns, a pick, and he also rushed seven times for 41 yards and a touchdown. The goal is simple. Get some help for Josh Allen. And you can see that they tried to do it with signing uh, Leonard Fournette to the practice squad because as of right now, James Cook isn't working and Latavius Murray isn't working. I mean, we've heard rumblings that they wanted to inquire on running backs like Josh Jacobs and uh, Derrick Henry. Sounds like those two aren't going to be able to hit the market. So basically, they're trying to scrape the bottom of the barrel. Uh, for what's left. But if Fournette can maybe find what he had in Tampa during that uh, Super Bowl year where he was picked up mid-year, um, then um, the the Bills have a chance. But they need some help for Josh Allen. So running back is probably the biggest area I think they need uh, in a trade. And then defense, they're just hindered by injury. So there's not really much else they can do. I mean, unless they can uh, maybe like make a trade for like Josh Uche on the Patriots or um, j- just a defender like that. I mean, they're still working Von Miller back in, but it's really more so the secondary that uh, gives me concern. So if the Bills don't make a move for uh, some pass defense help, then they're going to be in a little bit of trouble. So they're at number nine. Number eight, I'm sticking with the Jaguars, uh, knocking off the Steelers 20 to 10. They basically put their stamp on a struggling uh, Pittsburgh offense, their defense getting two uh, interceptions off of Mitch Trubisky, who came in for Kenny Pickett. The offense, the fact that they had three turnovers does raise an eyebrow to me. I think what Trevor Lawrence needs to do, he needs to spread out uh, the offense a little bit more, and they got to get some more players involved. I mean, Travis Etienne ran 24 times. I mean, only some struggling teams. I mean, I'm thinking the Giants and Saquon Barkley are uh, – they're working him like to the bone. So they need maybe another running back uh, to carry some of that load for ETN. And then they got a uh, Lawrence is going to have to spread the ball out a little bit more. Only five players caught passes uh, from Trevor Lawrence. So he's going to have to find a way to move the ball around, get some other weapons involved. Um, trade trade deadline wise, again, similar to the Bengals. I like where they are. Um, maybe one get some depth on the, the defense at least. Um and then maybe maybe a running back they can find um, uh, from a goal mine or whatever. But I like the Jaguars uh, where they are at number eight, uh, considering, yes, they are six and two and they're going into the bye week. So maybe they can just get a little bit more healthier as well. Uh, number seven, I am putting the Cowboys right here because, yes, they dominated over the Rams 43 to 20. But let's not overreact and say that the Cowboys are back. Because remember the circumstances. Dallas was coming off a bye. And L.A., yes, they were an improving offense, but they're not the elite offense that they've had to face. Like, uh, they will be facing the Eagles at one point. Um, How they blow their doors, or they got blown out by the Niners. Um, Just keep in mind, you know, after that big win over the Patriots, everyone thought, oh, they're one of the NFC's best. They're up there. They're a Super Bowl contender, and then they totally get smoked by San Fran. So let's let's pump the brakes on that one. Um, their defense is a good defense, not a great defense. Obviously, it hasn't been great since they lost Diggs uh, for the year, and I kind of compare it to 
uh, the Patriots from a couple of years ago where they take advantage of really bad teams. So it's to be expected that they beat these bad teams uh, like the Rams, like the Patriots. I expect them to absolutely dominate against the Raiders. Um, But in terms of they're kind of in the same boat as Miami until they get a good win over a playoff caliber team or maybe a Super Bowl contending team. That's what that's how um, they can they can prove the doubters wrong. And really, from a trade perspective, if they can get another body in their secondary, uh, because Stefan Gilmore is a good cornerback, obviously former defensive player of the year. But you gotta, you're going to have to need someone to balance him out uh, on that other side. You need a two-headed monster at running back for me. That's why I'm not going to buy into the Cowboys just yet. Uh, number six, I am putting the Lions here, knocking off uh, the Raiders on Monday Night Football as they go into their bye week. And for me, it was just like a breath of fresh air to see Jameer Gibbs go absolutely off. And it was almost like everyone was like, this is why you drafted him in the first round. You know, when they signed David Montgomery and Montgomery goes nuts, um, now you put on this Jameer Gibbs. You put those two together, maybe the biggest two-headed monster at running back uh, in the National Football League. You keep that going. You obviously have Jared Goff finding um, great weapons like Amonra St. Brown and Sam Laporta. You put those two together, and this it's one of the better offenses out there in football. They're going to need a little bit of help defensively. I'm thinking maybe someone in the linebacker core. Cause I like, I said, Aiden Hutchinson, all pro candidate. That was my early season prediction. Uh, if you ask me, I think uh, him in that line is good, but it's sort of in the back half behind him in that pat in, in the past defense linebackers and secondary. I think uh, the line should at least be honing in on at least if they're not going to make a trade, that's fine. They're six and two. Um, you know, those two losses were to, the Seahawks, and they got blown out by the Ravens. Other than that, they're in a pretty good spot. So that's what I think the Lions should do if they should make any moves. Uh, Number five, this had to be the biggest drop for sure, and that has to be the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, what on earth happened to San Fran? They're now losers of three straight against the Browns, the Vikings, and the Bengals, okay? The, The Browns I can see because it was a field goal that was no good. The Vikings was a little bit of a head-scratcher, but this one, to get blown out by the Bengals? What on earth is going on? I mean, the first thing I look at is they've got a defensive issue. Their defense is a big problem. Consecutively, against those three teams I mentioned, they've allowed 334 yards, 452 yards, and 400 yards. So defense is the biggest issue, and everyone wants to turn the narrative of, Oh, Brock Purdy's back to where he was at mystery relevant. Honestly, for me, I would have held him out. You know, yes, he did play well, but not good enough. He was 22 of 31, 365 yards. He has a touchdown, but those two picks were huge. They were so, so bad. And he used to be untouchable. Um, In these first five games of the year, he threw nine touchdowns and no picks. Now in these last three games, He's thrown three touchdowns and five picks. So I'm not totally going to give up on Brock Purdy just yet because, yes, everyone goes through a bad stretch. He's still a young player in the National Football League. I mean, I don't even think he's hit a full uh, 18-game season uh, as to be expected by a normal quarterback. And obviously, they've addressed their defense already. I mean, they got a big package and they grabbed Chase Young 
to go on that defensive line. So now if you have Nick Bosa on one side and Chase Young on the other side, that defense gets a lot better, and they absolutely needed this bye week. So I like what they did for the trade deadline, and I think they're done with moves for right now. I think I think Brock Purdy is going to stay where he is. He's still going to be that guy. It's Sam Darnold's still going to be behind him, and those are the options you got. Defensively, they made a big improvement because that defensive line, the way that they get to the quarterback and disrupt the pocket has been their bread and butter on defense. And the fact that they've addressed it by getting a former number two overall pick, I think San Fran did a great job and Kyle Shanahan did a great job. I expect this team to turn around, maybe not go on that sort of undefeated stretch where I initially said that they were the Super Bowl favorites, but they at least will get back to the top of the NFC and maybe vie for that uh, number one spot. That's ultimately what I see. Number four, I'm going to go with the Ravens here, knocking off the Cardinals. Again, this has sort of been a quiet six and two because I say week after week after week that the only way the Ravens have some success is if Lamar Jackson isn't doing everything. And sure enough, they've been taking my advice because, again, for the second straight week, Lamar did not have to do everything. You know, yes, Lamar threw for only 157 yards, but they didn't need him to because Gus Edwards was carrying the load of the rushing attack. He carried it 19 times, okay? Your leading rusher cannot be Lamar Jackson the amount of times he runs. It has to be a running back. And sure enough, Gus Edwards, 19 times, he gets 80 yards, and he scores three times. It's got to be someone other than Lamar Jackson. Occasionally, Lamar can put the team on his shoulders, get uh, move the team down the field, but he's got to do it with his arm. So if he does it with his arm and he's running, that's a little bit of a concern. But the fact is, during the season where Lamar isn't carrying the load and he's not someone who has to do everything, I think that's the bread and butter for how Baltimore uh, can be contenders in the AFC. And now they've got a test next week uh, against Seattle. And we've already heard rumblings that the Ravens might be looking for a running back, which I think is a good move. Um, they've inquired about Derrick Henry. Um, <clears throat> I think they might have called Vegas about Josh Jacobs as well, but I think that's the a good area to address, is to get a running back to help out Lamar Jackson. Because yes, Gus Edwards had a great game, but he's not going to be doing this every single week. He's not going to be doing it every single week. Let's just keep that in mind. So, they need more games like this. They need more games where Lamar doesn't have to shoulder everything. That's what I see for Baltimore. And they could ultimately wind up in that top three if they just continue to keep winning because ultimately I will have no choice. Uh, number three, uh, I'm putting the Dolphins here. So this is the highest the Dolphins have been. And everyone will say, well, your uh, your quota is look at the opponent that they played. Yes, they played the Patriots and the Patriots stink. They easily beat them 31 to 17. But I'm for the Dolphins necessarily, I'm looking at what they did on the field, obviously, because I watched all of the game. Um, what I saw from Miami is that rather than go at full speed, use that speed to their advantage and get so many chunk plays back to back to back, they're sort of learning to pace their offense. I mean, look at the time of possession that they nearly got 36 minutes. That's really good. That's an offense that's in control because what we've seen uh, in the, in the first couple of games 
was just, uh, you know, 10 yard play after 10 yard play, 15, 20, you know, obviously they got, they got big touchdowns from uh Tyree kill. I think it was like a 40 plus yarder. And then they got a 30 plus yarder from Jalen Waddle. Um, you can get those on occasion, but you can't be going to some of those plays after every single one. So they're really bouncing out the running attack. Yes. The, the running backs and the rushing has struggled a little bit uh, in recent weeks, you know, with Mostert and Jeff Wilson, obviously losing a chain uh, was a big one, but I like how they're pacing themselves uh, offensively. And the fact that they got Jalen Ramsey back in their secondary, I think is going to be huge. And, Ultimately, I don't think the Dolphins need to make any moves at the deadline. I think they've got a great uh, roster construction. They're still waiting for Xavier Howard on that other side of the secondary. And they've got a really good D-line. Christian Wilkins, uh, Van Ginkle, uh, Bradley Chubb has rediscovered himself. And not only that, but now that Jalen Waddle is more involved, the fact that he caught seven of his 12 targets for over 120 yards and a touchdown... I think it's huge for the Dolphins. I think that's really going to help them uh, for this year. But again, like I said last week, they've got to learn to win against these high-profile teams because now they were, I think, 9-25 and 25, uh, this this year. or that, that was the record combined against the teams that they've beaten. Uh, the teams that they've lost to have been blown out by the Bills and easily defeated by the Eagles. If they can win against the Chiefs next week in Germany, that's going to change a lot of things. Might have to tar- start taking Miami a little bit more seriously uh, than we have. But speaking of the Chiefs, I think because they lost at Denver and they've lost to Denver for the first time in a long time, I got to move them out of the top spot and put them at number two. I mean, yes, illness. Everyone's going to look at, oh, Mahomes had the flu. But I can't, I, I can't put that as a big excuse unless like they were dealing with the flu in time. But you listen to Mah- Patrick Mahomes after the game. He was saying, yeah, just some stomach issues, you know, anything like that. He's not taking it as an excuse, which is what I like to see. But this was sort of like a revolutionary loss. I mean, this was Mahomes' first loss to the Broncos, uh, his first road loss uh, against the team within his own division. And KC did not look good at all. I mean, two interceptions and a fumble for Mahomes. In total, they had five turnovers. Um, and as I've been saying week after week after week, Mahomes needs help. You know, similar to Lamar Jackson, he needs help. And the fact that the rushing game only got 62 yards shows again that he needs more weapons. So I'm looking deadline-wise, I think they need to get another receiving option, which they might have addressed with me, Cole Hardman, the fact that they grabbed him from the Jets. Um, you know, this combination of Pacheco and Edwards Alaire, I think they need someone more than that. Because, yeah, Pacheco can be good, and Edwards Alaire can show flashes, but on a consistent level, you know, it can't just be Mahomes to Kelsey every single time. It can't be Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey or these short passes to Pacheco and let him work. Um, they need a running attack. They need a running attack. So I think running back, running back, running back has to be addressed uh, for KC. But I mentioned they got knocked off their perch because they lost, but the team ahead of them had a good showing, which is why I got to put them at number one, and that's the Eagles. Eagles were one of the few top NFC teams that actually won their game. They took advantage of San Fran losing. Now they're all alone in the solo spot on the top of the NFC. But 
there's something about Washington that just always gives Philly trouble. Um, the issues, at least for me, continue to be the same. Turnovers and the passing defense. I mean, they allowed Sam Howell to throw for 397 and four touchdowns. They allowed in total 472 yards. And of course, they turned the ball over twice. But I think what does help is having maybe one of the top three receivers, arguably the second best receiver in football in A.J. Brown. The fact that now he has six straight games with over 125 yards receiving, my goodness, it helps for Jalen Hurts to have guys like that, like Devontae Smith um, and Dallas Goddard as his tight end. But as I said, passing defense and turnovers, passing defense and turnovers, specifically from Jalen Hurts, that's going to be the thing that takes Philly back. And as I continue to say, they're not as dominant as they are, but if they're sitting at 7-1, and one, and the fact that they're all alone now at the top spot of the NFC, I don't see them making any moves uh, considering, you know, the, what they have uh, weapons-wise. So that's what I see uh, in the top 10. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like a wait-and-see, at least, uh, deadline-wise. As uh, Now, as we're recording, we're less than an hour away. Uh, switching over to the bottom 10, there was a little bit of shuffling here. I think number 10, for me, I was a little surprised at this one. I put Tennessee at number 10, just because I didn't have any expectations for whoever was going to be starting for Ryan Tannehill, whether it was going to be Will Levis or Malik Willis. But Levis, all of a sudden, has injected life into Nashville. I mean, 19 of 29 for 238 and four touchdowns in your very first start. I mean, talk about making a really good first impression. It made people rediscover, oh, DeAndre Hopkins is still playing. He, he can still be a really good player. So, the fact that Levis already, he looked better than Tannehill did. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Levis just started the rest of the year. And I think that's what Mike Vrabel might have to do. Because you can actually, you know, yes, the AFC South is a struggling division. But if Tennessee at least wants to challenge for a playoff spot for a wild card, stick with Levis. Because first impressions are huge. The fact that they knocked off the Falcons, now they've got... A nice, easy opponent. I say easy because the Steelers just lost Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, Thursday night football against the Steelers. I think you stick with Levis. Ride it out. Ride out your hot your hot hand. And honestly, trade deadline-wise, I would hold on to Derrick Henry. So I think it's smart what Tennessee is doing, holding on to Henry and still holding out hope that this team can turn it around. I will say they need to get some more receivers involved. So if anything, grab another receiver or two. Uh, if you ask me, number nine, uh, this one more so from the trade deadline perspective is who I want to focus on. The commanders have been selling and selling and selling. They already gave up Montez Sweat to Chicago, which confuses me. And then I mentioned they uh, traded Chase Young to San Fran. But really talking about last week, yeah, they challenged the Eagles. They always play the Eagles tough, but Sam Howell can only do so much. I mean, he had to throw 52 times. Um, and those 52 times were compared to 16 run plays. So it's obvious that Washington and Ron Rivera is in sell mode. I think we're going to see a whole new team come 2024. The fact they gave up two of their best D linemen. Um, they're going to have to rebuild everywhere, um, <laughs> except for the quarterback position, because I think it's a little unfair for Howell, he doesn't have an offensive line right now. He's been sacked the most times in football. I think they have to re uh, restructure that offensive line, but they can find themselves in the win column 
if they can play well in Foxborough against the Patriots next week. You know, that's kind of like a wait and see for this one. Uh, number eight is another team who I think should be in sell mode, and that's the Raiders. I mean, let, let's just face it. Jimmy G in the offense is a total mess right now, and you can see why Devontae Adams is so frustrated. I mean, Jimmy G only went 10 of 21 for 126 yards. He was picked off. He was sacked six times. I mean, let's just face it. That that offense should be should be sold. I mean, I, there are some pieces, I think, for Vegas that can stay. I think Max Crosby can stay. Uh, Robert Spillane, I think, is a really good player defensively. Um, but other than that, like, Devontae Adams, I, I would want, if I was him, I'd be asking out. Josh Jacobs, if I was him, I'd be asking out. You know, it, it's time to sell it off for the Raiders. I mean, maybe they look at next week's opponent, the Giants, and say, hey, with a win, we can just turn this thing around. It's not going anywhere for Josh McDaniels. Sorry to say that, but they're not going to be playing anywhere close to the Super Bowl in the next couple of years. Uh, number seven, this one was a big jump. I put in the Broncos here. The fact that they finally ended their streak 16 games, and eight years later, Denver finally beats Kansas City. Now, they're not going to turn things around magically with this win, but now that they're going into the bye week uh, with a win like this, it kind of inspires some confidence, and it it leads to some buy-in because Russell Wilson, as I mentioned last week, he's not going to be this electric player. He just has to be a game manager now. Um, the fact that he took advantage of the good starting field position off of the turnovers his defense gave him, he connected on three touchdowns, so he really didn't need more than 113 passing yards. And as I said, he's getting help uh, from his running backs with uh, McLaughlin and... Um, um, how how the heck am I thinking on his name? The fact that he got 153 rushing yards uh, from his squad, I think is a big confidence uh, for Denver, especially now going into the bye week. Because as we said, there was just so much dysfunction and Sean Payton, at least in my eyes, had to focus on the defense. And sure enough, that's what he did. He's focused on the defense. He let Russ sort of do his thing naturally. And... Look at where the Broncos are at now, three and five. And sure enough, um, there there's op, uh, option for Javante Williams and Jaleel McLaughlin to help out Russell Wilson. There really, there really is a time to uh, help him out. Um, not going to say they're going to automatically go to the playoffs, but at least it's a step in the right direction from where they uh, once were, from where they were. Number six, I got to put the Packers here because similar to the Raiders, their offense is in total disarray. Uh, they they need some offense. They need some offense. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they were sellers too. Jordan Love just continues to be taking steps back. He had another pick. He was sacked four times. He didn't even get 230 yards. And the fact that Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon just continue to struggle means Green Bay ain't going anywhere because Jordan Love just needs that help, needs all the help that he can get. Um, it'll be, it'll be really tough for them to win against the Rams because yes, the Rams struggle, but they have a much better offense. Uh, moving on to number five though, is kind of like a flash in the pan. I saw them do a big jump, but now they're back to where they were. And that's the Patriots. We'll talk more about the Pats during a let's get local. But last week just turned out to be a big mirage. Uh, Dolphins just carved them up, uh, defensively. And we've heard rumors or we've heard rumblings that there is a little bit of selling there. I don't really see Bill Belichick as a seller. Um, he's never really done anything big at the deadline anyway, so I wouldn't really expect anything uh, from the Pats at this deadline. 
number four is kind of interesting to me. I'm putting the Bears here uh, because I they're they're staying the way they are because Tyson Badgett can only do so much. I mean, he had two picks and he threw 232 yards, but there's nothing more to say when you have this Chargers offense. Yes, they can struggle at times, but we know one thing's for sure. They're a high-powered offense. So I, I was a little surprised to see them sort of buy at the deadline. I mean, you're buying if you're getting Montez Sweat. I mean, do they think their rebuild starts now? Because I, I'm I'm just not sure why you would acquire Montez Sweat if you're not contending for anything. If anything, you look for a better option uh, for Sweat for uh, more of a contending team, not the Bears, if you're asking me, because the Bears aren't going anywhere at 2-6, and six, even when Justin Fields returns. Uh, that's what you say for me. Uh, number three, this one's pretty easy. I'm putting the Cardinals here more so. Yes, they lost again, but it was a, to a really good opponent, and the other two had some interesting results, I would say. And we know that they they were sellers from the seat before the season even began. I mean, now we see that Josh Dobbs is going to be the new quarterback for the Vikings, uh, with Kirk Cousins being lost to a torn Achilles. So Clayton Toon is going to be the guy until Kyler Murray is good to go. Um Let's just face it. There's nothing more to be said about the Cardinals that we haven't said already. They just don't have the playmakers. They don't have anyone of that sort. Um, But they didn't lose as bad as the team who's in number two right now. And that's the Giants. The fact that this was maybe one of the ugliest offensive games you will see all year. The fact that they lost 13 to 10 in overtime to the Jets. I mean, what was the statistic? I think it was like 15 punts between the two. And the fact that they had negative nine passing yards between Tyler Tyrod Taylor and the guy who came in for him, uh, Tommy DeVito. I'll just put it like this. Brian Dable sucks at end of game or end of half situations. I mean, they needed one first down and they needed a field goal to put it away. They couldn't even get the first down. They leave 30 seconds on the clock. They miss a field goal, Graham Gano did. And now it comes to bite them in the butt. And honestly, the fact that now the Panthers are no longer winless the Giants could find themselves in this number one spot if their offense just continues to struggle the way they are. But they can turn things around. There's a sliver of hope with the Raiders next week. You know, it's kind of a, a wait-and-see kind of thing. But, you know, for the number one, as I mentioned, uh, with the Panthers, there's good news and bad news. The good news is they're no longer winless. The bad news is it was against the Texans. And I was sort of on a middle. I was sort of in the middle with Texas and the fact that it was only 15-13 and it was a game-winning field goal from Eddie Pinheiro. I mean, I'm just glad the defense finally held someone in check. The fact that C.J. Stroud only threw for 140 yards. This is a guy who's top five in passing um, in the NFL. And we know they're going to be sellers, but they finally, you know, we're not going to see these winless teams like the Lions and the Browns of the past. No, the Panthers have a win in their book. And maybe if they can get another one, if they can knock off the Colts, they can get themselves out of this number one spot. And, um climb up these bottom tens to go to uh, the second worst team or the third worst team, basically. And they don't even have their draft pick for this year. So we already know where this is going for Carolina. So there's where we are in the rankings. And hopefully by the time uh, this episode airs, we'll get some maybe some juicy uh, trades that we can dive into next week when we reveal week nine's uh, power rankings. But coming up next, uh, we're going to talk basketball and hockey because there were a couple of things that have stuck out to me during the first couple of weeks of both of their seasons starting.
Now we want to move on and talk a little basketball and hockey because it's only been a couple of weeks. Uh, for the NBA, it's only been one week. And for hockey, it's been about two or three. But there are some things that have been sticking out, uh, at least personally in my mind. I think the big one has to be that James Harden finally gets his wish and gets traded to the Clippers, which honestly I didn't think was going to happen. I thought Philly would have just traded him wherever or whoever got the best package, you know, similar to the Damian Lillard situation. But Harden goes to the Clippers with P.J. Tucker and Philip Petrosev. I don't even know if he's going to be able to play but, uh, for the Clippers, but they go to L.A., Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, K.J. Martin, and a bunch of picks are on their way to Philly. And it doesn't really move the needle for me that much because Harden does get to play alongside two, maybe three, if you count Russell Westbrook, uh, all-star level players. But the thing for Paul George and Kawhi is that they can never stay on the court. They can't stay healthy. So that and the the, the depth takes a lot of hit because Morris is a good player. Um, Covington and Batum can provide a little bit of offense, but you lose some of that depth. Now you're stuck with, I think, Bones Highland and even to Zubats. Uh, Mason Plumlee, I think, is the backup. Um, so I, I'm not, you know, I, I still think it's, you know, Suns, Warriors, Lakers, you know, those types of teams um, that are really contenders. I don't really see the Clippers. And then for the Sixers, I said a couple of weeks ago, I think, when we last brought up Harden, is that Philly's just on their way out. They're on their way down to the bottom because Joel Embiid now doesn't really have a solidified number two option, unless Tyrese Maxey can step up. This is basically going to be a gap year for Philly. I mean, no one was really predicting them to be within striking distance of Philly or uh, Milwaukee or Boston, but now this is like an official number two because Joel Embiid can't carry the whole team as we've seen uh in the last year's uh postseason you know he struggled Harden struggled so unless Tyrese Maxey is ready to take a big leap and be the number two option behind Embiid this is just gonna be another another step down the the bottom of the rung because as I said Embiid's gonna he's gotten to a point I think now where because he has said he wants to play with Harden but obviously Harden didn't want to play in Philly so now he's going to be upset. You know, it's probably only a matter of time before he requests a trade. Um, it's just going, as I said, it's going downhill for Philly. I, I don't like where it's going to end uh, for the Sixers. But uh, that's one of the NBA headlines, obviously, that we've talked about. Uh, how about LeBron? I mean, if there was one point where LeBron was the subject of everything. And now uh, the new story is that he was apparently on a minutes restriction uh, in the very first game. Um which was very short-lived. I mean, he had 29 minutes in the opening loss, but then it's been like 35 and 39 minutes. Um, because honestly, LeBron's going to dictate it himself. Like he knows his body. Yes, he's the oldest player in the league right now. He's going to be 39. Um, and and honestly, like they're going to need him uh, at least in the, in the first couple of, maybe in the next month or so to play as many minutes as he needs to because they have so many new faces on their roster. I mean, their starting five is the relative same, but, you know, you added Torian Prince, Gabe Vincent, Christian Wood. Like, that's a lot of players to to gel into a second unit. So he's probably going to have to be playing as much as he is just to keep the Lakers afloat. Because, I mean, their schedule was already hard when they had to play Denver and Phoenix uh, to start their season. But ultimately, for me, the Lakers season hinges on Anthony Davis, how much he plays, how effective he is. Because let's face it, when he's on the court, 
he's a really good player. The problem is he hasn't been able to stay on the court. And we saw what happened when he was healthy last year in the postseason um, in that revamped roster for L.A. They were able to make a run to the Western Conference Finals. Yes, I would still put them a rung behind the Nuggets and the Suns and the Warriors. You know, it, they're they're not at the top of the conference. So basically, it, it's something to keep an eye on. You know, how LeBron does in these first couple of games and those minutes. You know, is he actually going to be on a minutes restriction or um, is he just going to say, I'll, I'll play, I'm going to play however long I want to. I'm going to go to Coach Darvin Ham. And he's going to dictate that because as much as Darvin Ham and the Lakers might want to give him some of that restriction for the postseason, um, it's ultimately going to be his call. It's going to be LeBron's call without a doubt, uh, for sure. Um, one other NBA story I want to talk about were the Bulls, um, you know, because it, it's hard to make some big waves during the first week of the season. But the fact that Chicago lost opening night to the Thunder by I think it was like 17 and had a players only meeting. Never a good sign when after one game, there's a players only meeting. And it's just got me thinking, like, what is that locker room like in Chicago? Does Billy Donovan actually have a control of his team? Is Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan, are they being effective leaders? I mean, getting blown out by the Thunder shouldn't cause a meeting like that. Because, yes, the Thunder aren't title favorites, but they're at least on the up and up. And they should be a playoff team. But... I would have had the meeting like after the Pistons at the very least, considering that they lost by 16 and their best player, Zach Levine, dropped 51. That would have been, if anything, to have that kind of meeting. I just don't see what benefit there is to the Bulls having a players-only meeting after one game. One game. I mean, at the minimum, at least for me, it should have been one month. Like, if you're struggling after one month, then there would be some issues raised. But one game? Like, my goodness, what is going on for the Chicago Bulls? Um, lastly, just to conclude this part, I did mention hockey. Um, there haven't been a lot of headlines, if you ask me, but I just wanted to zero in on one team, at least, in the NHL, and that's the Red Wings. I think they're shocking the hockey world with the start to their season because they have been pretty much in the bottom uh, for a long time now, and... Now, here they are, like, I think they're second in the Atlantic last time I talked, uh, last time I saw behind the Bruins, and they're third overall in the Eastern Conference. And when I looked back on what their offseason was, the big thing was acquiring Alex Dabrinkit, uh from Ottawa. That really looks like a great deal now. After getting him, they gave him a four-year extension, and so far, he's paying off. He's got nine goals and four assists, and it finally gives Dylan Larkin some talent to play off of. Uh, Larkin's got 11 assists and four goals. You put those two together, and it's a really good combination. So Detroit, I don't think they're going to stay on the top the way they are, but hey, playoffs are an option for the Red Wings, which we haven't been able to say in quite a long time. I think Detroit is definitely a team to keep a sneaky eye out for uh, if they can make any noise uh, getting into the playoffs. And I'm sure as the season goes along, there'll be more hockey headlines to talk about. But through three weeks, kind of everyone is where they are. Um, Bruins, obviously, we'll talk about next. But I think, you know, Toronto is where they are. Vegas is where they are. You know, once once we get later on into the year, there will definitely be some more headlines to talk about. But speaking of the Bruins and talking about them next segment, that's exactly what we're going to do when we get to Let's Get Local. 
This is our city. Now, as we always do during this part of the show, we head to the Boston market and look at all those teams. It's our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And just really quickly before we get into the Patriots, um, because we talked all Celtics last week with our buddy Justin Turpin. If you missed that, uh, that was our previous episode of Let Me Speak. Get it wherever you find your podcast. Um, during that time, uh, we had a new man get hired for the Red Sox uh, chief baseball officer, president, operation. I don't know what title they're going to give him. But anyway, they hired Craig Breslow to fill Heimblum's uh, new spot. Now, I'm not upset at the hire, but with so many other names uh, turning down an interview, or not even being considered is a little bit concerning. I mean, the background for Breslow is that they, that he's been developing pitching uh, for the Cubs. Um, but this is really his first big uh, front office role. Um, so I would say that, um, yes, it's, it's a little bit uh, concerning that <laughs> it, it's concerning that it took maybe, I don't know, the 13th or 14th name to actually take the interview and, they said hired, and at least, you know, the good thing is that he's got a Red Sox background, and we even heard that uh, front office went to uh, upper management uh, to, you know, or they went, front office went to legends like Pedro or Poppy and Pedroia uh, to ask. So I, I they must have recommended Craig Breslow, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to be totally upset. I mean, he's just going to carry out what the uh, front office wants, and hopefully what the front office wants is actually to spend and go for some success. So we're kind of in a, a wait and see point with uh, the former Red Sox reliever. Um, obviously everyone's talking about how bad the Patriots are. I mean, they just showed uh, this past Sunday that the week before where they beat Buffalo was just a fluke. Uh, they lose to Miami 31 to 17. And it was just another case of how bad their personnel is compared to all these other teams. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say something that already hasn't been said, um, but it was just, it, you know, Bel- Belichick uh, gets exposed again for his roster construction. And he even said, you know, when he was questioned about, you know, maybe changing roles about going from either just being a head coach or just being a GM or whatever, he said he couldn't do that, uh, which is it, it raises an eyebrow about, you know, sort of his stubbornness that we've known for quite a long time. Um, you know, so there's nothing new about Belichick on that side of things. It's more so the players on the field that really stuck out to me. Mac Jones, just another game of poor decisions. I mean, the, the pass rush was really getting to him and he was, he was panicky again when he was getting under pressure. He had a really bad interception. He got fooled by Jalen Ramsey. I initially, I initially tweeted that, um, you know, it wasn't his fault because Ramsey broke off his route, but looking back on it, it was just Ramsey. He fooled him. Jalen Ramsey fooled Mac Jones and it led to an interception and almost a near pick six. If he could keep his balance, um, on the sidelines. And now it's just only going to get worse because uh, the best receiver for the Pats, uh, Kendrick Bourne, now has a torn ACL. So that means your core of receivers, or basically your roster room, is Demario Douglas, Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Parker, uh, Jalen Rager, who's on the practice squad for a long, Tyquan Thorne, who was a healthy scratch last week, and Kayshawn Booty, who's already said, free me uh, because of his multiple inactives. So... This just isn't going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. And considering what the defense, how they got exposed, uh, we talked a lot about it on the uh, Six Rings postgame show uh, against, you know, just the speed and, you know, getting fooled by the motions. 
all that kind of stuff. Just at two and six, like it doesn't get any better. I mean, there aren't many winnable games left. Like Washington next week is winnable. Uh, the Colts in Germany is winnable. Giants are winnable. Steelers are winnable. You know, all all these games are winnable, but you can't for certain like stick a fork and say they are going to win this game. You can't do that anymore. And honestly, like if you ask me, I, I'm kind of moving on. I'm just there to watch. I'm not looking for anything big. I mean, the fact that Demario Douglas has to be their number one because he's been so involved, like a rookie six round wide receiver has to be the focus on the offense. Like, no. Absolutely not. And then defensively, um, just the linebackers couldn't keep up with the speed. Uh, JC Jackson had a really bad game against Tyree Kill. Secondary's all banged up. It's just injuries and bad personnel. That's all I can say about the Patriots. And honestly, you're not going to hear anything different probably in the next couple of weeks in regards to uh, how this team can get better because it's all everything that has to get better is going to go to 2024, um, if you ask me. Um, I'm just only going to give you positives on games they actually win, which I don't even know if they'll be able to do that. Uh, so that's kind of where I am with the Patriots. I'm I'm moving on to the Bruins and the Celtics because the Bruins, uh, to start, are really they're surprising to me off to a great start. They have yet to lose in regulation. They had a great win uh, last night, uh, coming back and winning in overtime over the Panthers, the team that knocked them out last year. I mean, yes, it's somewhat of a soft schedule, but hey, still undefeated in regulation. And ultimately, I think David Posternock has been the, the big focal point in all that. He's just taken his game to another level. I think he maybe got an idea that it was time for him to sort of take on a new role because he's kind of, he's been uh, one of the better, he's been the best scorer uh, for multiple years for uh, the Bruins. Uh, but now with no Bergeron, no Krejci, not a lot of leadership, he's going to have to be that guy. And he's sort of a showing by example kind of leader, you know, him and Marshawn. And of course, all these new players and uh, the young guys have really stepped up. I mean, Matthew Patra, he earned his right. You know, the decision was today to either bring him down or uh, move him down or keep him on the roster. I think there was no doubt in my mind they were going to keep him up here. Uh, and then you have all these young other young guys, uh, young relative, when you have Coyle, McAvoy, uh, Frederick has done really good, Pavel Zaka changing his position and getting that game winner last night. Um, this is a really good, uh, this is a good Bruins roster. It's a lot better than I thought. And <laughs> we joked with Richard Peru a couple of weeks ago that it could go undefeated. Hey, how about 81 uh, 0 1? That, that might be something, <laughs> something to be uh, excited about. Um, it's still pretty early. And I said it was somewhat of a soft schedule. You know, I'd love to see. You know, this Thursday, they're going to play Toronto. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, obviously, some other big matchup. You know, when when we get to, like, the actual playoff teams um, is really how uh, I'm going to evaluate this team. Because, yeah, it's a good start. But, obviously, as we say, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And the same can be said about the Celtics. Because they've shown some really good promise uh, in three games. Poor, I mean, Christos Porzingis is just on a new level right now. I think it's been three different leading scores for the Celtics in their first three games. Obviously Tatum had the 34 and then Porzingis behind him with the 30 uh, against Miami. I want to say that uh, Jalen had, you know, he rebounded on his scoring night, um, but also drew holiday had some, uh, some big shots as well. And then Jalen Brown uh, putting in, I think seven threes in the first half and an easy victory over the wizards. Um, really for me, I think that their top six is great. Because Drew Holiday, some some nights he can be 
scorer and a defender. Other nights, he just has to be a defender. Tatum and Brown can obviously have their, you know, what they did last year was scoring off of each other. Porzingis is a matchup nightmare. You're just hoping that he can be healthy for the postseason. Derek White continues to be underrated, and Al Horford has somewhat fresh legs uh, now coming off the bench. The big concern for me is that they need more scoring off the bench because, yes, they've got these offensive options in Pritchard and in Hauser, but you're not turning to – they need to be, you know, maybe eight point per game or eight point per game or ten point per game score because I think the win against the Heat, I think um, it was like 111 points combined from the starting five. Um, so they're going to need more depth. And maybe that comes with developing guys. Like I, I talked to Terp uh, after we spoke, Justin Turpin, and he says, you know, uh, Nemus Keita has to be developed. Maybe Jordan Walsh has to be developed a little bit. Um, but I love I love what I've seen so far, at least from those top six guys. Those top six guys have done great. I mean, the fact that Drew Holiday one night is guarding Julius Randle, um, and then the other night he's guarding uh, Tyler Hero. Um, I mean, even Marcus Smart, and people love Marcus Smart, but he couldn't even do that. Um, and Holiday can hit those big shots uh, as Smart could not. So I think it's a great sign uh, for what the Celtics have started, uh, the way they've started these three games. And yes, it's only three games, um, but just to see defensively, they look so much better. I mean, obviously last night they were up by 30 when their starters played, but once the bench came in, it went down. I think it got to like 19 at, at some point. So it's a little, it's a little bit of a uh, concern, at least bench wise for uh, the Celtics. If their bench can't come through, that's going to be the biggest issue. I mean, cause you're, you want these guys in the postseason. Obviously you want a healthy Porzingis. You want a healthy Horford, healthy, those top six. If any of them get hurt, I mean, it's not going to be, a ginormous issue, but they're not going to be as dominant as as they are. So still kind of a wait and see with the Celtics. But first three games, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied with how they are. But uh, coming up next, we actually are going to stick with the Celtics uh, for our LOL moment of the week. Maybe not a Celtic. Wait and see. Find out. now it's the end of the show as we always do it's our lol moment of the week and i teased it that we're sticking with the celtics on this but it's not a celtic who makes this it's one of the players they played against last night and that is jordan pool now for those who need to be caught up on the jordan pool situation on in training camp after the warriors win it all he gets punched by draymond green they get into a fight They're never really the same and then he gets shipped out to the wizards and he wanted a bigger role in Washington. He's got it, but he is getting humbled real quick for thinking that he's on a different level. Watch this play uh, in the first quarter between Wizards and Celtics. He brings the ball up and he's just casually backing up. He goes behind the back where, and then he steps back. He fires the three so casually and he just gets absolutely rejected by Porzingis and KP easily gets the bucket on the other end. Now, just watching it again, it really makes me think like how much in his own head he really is because we've heard stories from guys like Andre Iguodala who just uh, retired from Draymond and basically everyone who was in that locker room last year. 
and how basically it wasn't going to be able to work and someone was going to have to move on. But one of the things I think that Igadala said, I think he said it on the JJ Reddick podcast. He had said that Poole looked at Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and thought, why don't I get that kind of freedom? Well, what's happening now in Washington is he is getting some of that freedom and he's failing at it. Like I ultimately think he's, He's a good player, but he's getting in his own head. He's thinking too much about himself because he's he still thinks like he's still on that level. He really still thinks that he's on that same level. But listen, Curry and Clay have been on that level for nearly 10 years now, okay? Poole was drafted, I think, in 19, 18 or 19. So it's only been about four or five years. You're not on that level. You still got to work insanely hard at it. It took Curry... I think his fifth year to finally make an all-star team. It took Thompson his fifth year to make an all-star team for everything to come together. So Jordan Poole, you're not on that level yet. You think you're on the same level and getting the same amount of freedom as two future Hall of Famers. But the fact is, in your first three games with your new team, you've only scored 18, 27, and 11. So Jordan Poole just still is in his own head because really – like for him to really get humbled that little behind the back he did when he had his back turned to Porzingis Porzingis could have easily just like tapped it away um, and gotten the turnover, but he decided to take the other route. And with this casual step back three, he just completely wipes the floor with it. Um, Yes. Porzingis is seven, three, but I think anyone could have just rejected it so easily. So Jordan Poole, once again, you're, you're in your own head and you're not as good right now as you ultimately think you are, you got yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week for just casually thinking you can hoist up a three, but Chris Tapps Porzingis humbles you very quickly. And just like that, we are done with number 92. Let me speak. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Make sure you're following me on Twitter or X at Joe Braverman PVP. Of course, I've got pages on Facebook and Instagram as well. And follow this podcast on Instagram and Facebook. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next time for episode 93 of Let Me Speak. The countdown to 100 continues. Later. Later.